Welcome to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. Outsourced Accountant Podcast. This is your go-to podcast if you're the owner of an accounting or bookkeeping firm who is looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team. Here, you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity, and deliver more to your clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. I'm Sam Rockberg from Alexander Spencer, and you're listening to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. Hi, Sam. How are you? Welcome to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. It's so good to have you with us today on the show. Uh, How's things in sunny Melbourne? Uh, Not so sunny, actually, today. Um, It was yesterday. It's going to be a great weekend coming up, but today is not such a great day. Uh, that is very sad to hear. And uh, as you can see, because we're on camera, it is mighty sunny in uh, Queensland and I'm still getting used to the weather and living in air conditioning all the time because <laughs> it's a weird feeling when you have to do that, especially after transitioning from London. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure. So um, excited to have you to tell us about your story uh, and the Alexander Spencer story of uh, working with offshore teams and in this sense, working with your TOA teams. But just for everyone that's listening today, do you want to tell us a little bit about the you know business story and history of the firm? Sure. So if we go back in history a bit, the firm actually began in 1952 um, and it began as um, our, our um, first client was Dillard Cinemas and they started to roll out drive-in cinemas at the time, and that was the birth of Alexander and Spencer, name was called then, um, and we can fast forward from that because I wasn't around in those days, um, but I have been here for quite a while. So back in 1983, uh, I started here as a junior accountant after being at Arthur Young, now Ernst & Young, for two years doing audit work, which I didn't really enjoy that much. Got the opportunity in business services as a, as a junior slash great accountant and worked my way up from in 1983 and became a partner in about 1990. Um, we moved practices from a small outer suburban practice to a, a larger inner suburban practice. So we're now in Camberwell in Melbourne, so it's not that far from the city. Um, and we've grown from staff team of around six to now over 30 people in the accounting division. 30. That's awesome. That's yeah. uh, that's great. And in particular, like you're talking about services and things and I think the audit piece, and I think most people enjoy doing audit, if I'm honest. I, I think it's uh, it's the one that everyone has to do, but uh, not always the one that brings people the most joy. Um, in terms of services, what are the key services you guys are working on? Because you're Camberwell, right? Like in the yeah. suburbs? Yep. Yeah. So we, we, we spoke, we're Business services accounting practice. We do a lot of SMSF works. I'm an SMSF specialist um, in a whole range of industries. We don't do a lot of retail, which is probably quite a good thing, especially since COVID came along. Um, don't do much in the manufacturing space. And again, not that much manufacturing in Australia, um, but very highly concentrated on a whole range of service industries. Um, that's the, probably the main source of the, in the accounting practice. Um, in the last few years, we decided to diversify our business and offer some value-add services to clients. So we bought a bookkeeping business and brought that in-house uh, two and a half years ago. We um, stole our bank manager, brought him in-house to set up a mortgage-broking business, and that's been really, really going really well. And we also brought in an, a specialist in general 
business insurance broking. Yep. We actually tacked on a business as well. Yeah. And that's been growing substantially. Started off with a team of two and a half, two and one part-timer. And shortly within the next few weeks, it'll be six. That's I, there's a lot of activity going on there. Like that's, I, I actually remember when you first announced or told me you were um, acquiring the bookkeeping business because that was a few years ago now, right? That wasn't, yeah, 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 yeah nearly three years ago. Yeah, okay, awesome. That's uh, and that's going. Uh, my probably question to jump on that is, what was the decision? Why did you want to bring that in house? What was the driver, or what is it you were trying to drive back to your clients? So we we saw there was a we were trying to do bookkeeping here as an accounting practice, and I think. Some accountants think they can do bookkeeping. And to be brutally honest with you, accountants are not bookkeepers. So, <laughs> you know, we, we realise that's not our strength and there's no point trying to pretend to be something you're not. We brought we, – so we decided to buy a bookkeeping business to be able to do that service offering for clients. Yep. Um, but in saying that, that bookkeeping business was mainly non-Alexander Spencer clients. And but that's allowed us to offer that extra value add service to our clients who who need that service. Yep, it's been it's been a, a big learning curve with respect to how you run a bookkeeping business versus how you run an accounting practice because it is it is quite different. The numbers are very different. The way you have to think is very different. So us as a board, we had to rethink the way we run that business versus an accounting practice. Yeah, 100%. I did two different sides of the brain almost, right? Like in terms of the, the work you're getting in day-to-day versus what the um, the accountant's looking at it, you know, month end or quarter end. Yeah. Um, does any of that, was there any indication of bringing bookkeeping in to help? Do you, do you guys, because do you, you mentioned business advisory before, right? So I'm trying to maybe pull out a little bit on whether the bookkeeping piece now had some fuel to the advisory arm of the business. Um, because a lot of the clients are not our accounting practice clients, we have to be very careful when we're not stepping on toes for the accounts who actually act for those clients. And we're very conscious of that. We don't, the last thing we want to do is do the wrong thing. I mean, small industry, everyone knows what's going on. So we wouldn't do that. But where there's an opportunity, um, we will do that. Sometimes we'll actually train some of the bookkeepers because our new GM of bookkeeping actually is a CPA. She's, so she understands advisory accounting as well as the bookkeeping piece. So she's a, a great nexus between the accounting firm and the accountants versus the bookkeeping firm and the bookkeepers. Yep. Um, so there is that possibility for future growth within advisory, but, again, we've just got to be a little bit careful as to who we offer that to. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, I agree. Definitely a small industry. Um, so there's a few different parts you talked about there. Do you mind if we talk about the team structured around that? So what your onshore team looks like versus the offshore team and what responsibilities you cater for in that sense, like who's yep. managing who and so forth? So um, we began, we, we took on TOA um, staff members a couple of years ago, not quite, nearly two years ago, 18 months roughly. Um, the decision was made two years ago to start that process after having a, a really good venture coming to the conference in Clark um, December 18. Yep. Um, learned a lot from that conference, had a lot of positives out of it, and gave me confidence, which I was then be able to pass on to my business partners to say, we have to do this. Um, so we now we now have two accountants um, in, in, sorry, in Cebu. We're about to employ a third one, which I'll speak about in a moment because there's a real very unusual but good reason to have that person. 
Yep. Um, and we recently, in, in about six months ago, we employed an admin person who is amazing. Oh, geez, first class. I um, not love that becomes aren't, but this admin, admin person is first class. It's um, they start the, the accountant side. They started by doing basic bookkeeping, learning how to do a BAS, learning our work paper processes. Um, it actually forced us to be more systemized ourselves. In order to do that training, we started doing Loom videos for everything so they can watch again and again rather than having to annoy people all the time for a basic question. So those things actually helped us as a practice. Um, and then now we can say with these two accounts are now doing business services work. So they're starting doing individual returns as well. They're now doing business services work. So they're building their knowledge base um, quite a bit. And yep. um, yeah, and they're both, they're both excellent accountants. They do a great job. Um, the only thing I will say just for people out there who don't use Toa is that people, Filipino people tend to be very much a yes person. They won't question you a lot. They're very shy. So yes, you have yes. to be aware of that. They only want to do the right thing. They do not want to do the wrong thing. And you have to learn how to deal with them slightly differently to how you would deal with some of the Australian accountants, if you like. Totally. I mean, in different countries, different cultures. Uh, I, uh, you know, learning myself a lot about this, even just with my own EA that's come on board. And uh, I, you know, I sit there and I question like, Tom, are you, are you actually really happy right now? Or is there something else you want to say to me? And like, you'll crack up and start laughing because yeah. I think that's him when he gets nervous, he gets, he's shy in that sense. Yeah. Um, you raised a good point though, because you said you went on the trip to the conference and that was your way of doing the due diligence to figure out if this thing's going to work. What was was your thoughts before coming in like what was the firm standpoint on having offshore teams prior to the conference and why was it shaped out like that yeah i think we're a little bit nervous because like i suppose when you have an unknown you don't know you don't know the quality of the people you don't know how easy it's going to be to communicate with them how good the internet um what the quality of level of, of their knowledge base is as a qualified accountant is in the philippines you also um my biggest reason for going to the conference was to try and learn from other people's mistakes because yep. what we didn't want to do is spend a lot of time doing things the wrong way and then be sorry. So I thought the best investment was to spend the money to go to the Philippines, speak to the other firms that obviously had been using TOA for a while and find out what they would do differently if they had their time again so we could learn from their mistakes and not have to make the same ones. And that, that when I came back from that, it was very easy to convince my business partners that it was definitely the way to go. Was there any key mistakes that you'd learned that you thought that right there was the cool, now I know this is going to be the right thing? Was there a particular piece of information that you'd heard that really gave you the confidence? Yeah, I think one thing was really resonated was make sure you've got your own systems in place really well. We all think we know how to run an accounting practice and we do. Yeah. You tend to find with multi-partner practices, everyone does their things slightly differently. And we made a very strong decision. It is one way, one way only. So it doesn't matter who picks up the file. They all know what to do the same way. So we spent probably a couple of months just getting that in alignment. It wasn't a big change, but it was still making an alignment. And that was important to do. And then as time progressed, we, well, we, we decided we had to do these Loom videos as well just to save time because you really need to be um, – constant communication with them, like you are with your own team here, but because they're far away, it's not like you'd wander over to their desk and have a chat with them. So it needs to be a little bit more organised in a way of, you know, catching up with them every morning, having a chat, how are things, what do you got on for the day, what are you going to get done for the day, 
Have you achieved your, what you want to achieve so far this week? Are there any issues? All those sorts of things you deal with in a slightly different manner and maybe more similar now the last couple months because of COVID because we had no choice. Yeah. But pre, pre that, you know, it wasn't wandering over to their desk and saying hi. So those things were, I think, a very big thing to think about and make sure we planned that carefully first so that when they did come on board, we had that in place. You, some really good points raised there. And I think from the COVID piece, yeah, like for most of the world, even today, they're still operating remotely for everything. I spent the last 11 months doing remote work in London, didn't see my team that whole time. It was just Zooms daily, multiple times a day. And, uh, the, you know, the struggle for that was was real. But then transitioning going, okay, now we've got, I'm now better placed to work with remote teams than I ever was before having gone through that. And I get the benefits of being able to reach over and speak to someone here at my desk. But then I also understand that there's different ways we need to be able to communicate effectively with these remote based team members, because otherwise they can feel disengaged. Right. And hundred percent. Is that something you guys have had to tackle in your own? Because I know you mentioned trying to avoid all the mistakes, but has there been challenges in your own experience with this that you've had to overcome as well? I think just keeping in mind we really do need to communicate them with them every day, and that's not an email. That's actually going onto a Zoom or a team meeting with them every day. And whether that's the accountants or whether that's admin, it doesn't matter. It applies across the board. It's just to make sure they understand they are part of our practice. They are not just some outsourced people. They are part of our team. They are our staff. They are part of Alexander Spencer, and we need to make sure they understand they are part of our family. A hundred percent. That is such a great point because a lot of people, when they think about offshoring outsourcing, when I hear about it, at least they they think about it like a dispensable workforce or just a, someone that's just going to do everything that I say. And don't get me wrong, the idea is that they will do the work that you need them to do, but it's uh, it's not a one way conversation. Like it's two way, right? And to your point, you said before that they can be shy and they want to say yes and uh, and all those sort of things as well. But we're, we're dealing with real people that are part of our team or part of your team. Yep. Um, so there's no reason why they shouldn't feel just like that uh, think, or that we think, would treat them any differently. Sorry. The only thing I'd say to that is, you know, if they're a good staff member, let's assume you, know, you, you, you pick the right ones, you want them to stay. They're not going to stay. They're not going to be loyal to you. Same way as your staff here aren't going to be loyal to you unless you treat them the right way, what they deserve to be. Just because they're X number thousand kilometres away doesn't mean they don't deserve the same nurturing and the same, you know, communication levels as we give here. And, and we know from feedback from them that that's been really good and they've, they're really happy and they love working for us. Um, but I know of firms who in the beginning didn't do that and that meant that they actually lost staff because they didn't feel like they were part of the firm. Yeah, that's um, it's critical to get that right in order to have, have that working relationship in, in the first place. Uh, you talked, like you mentioned, you've been with Tower for 18 months or two years now. You've got, uh, you're about to put a new team member on shortly. And my next question is probably more so around the training, right? And I know you would have, you're going to have a proper, I'll ask, sorry, let me ask before I assume, what was your training plan like for the first team members coming in and how has that changed now that you've got a third team member coming on? So the, the, in the beginning, the training was a little bit higgledy-piggledy because we really weren't sure. We didn't know their level of knowledge. Uh, and one, But once we learned what they did and what they didn't know what and what they could absorb quickly, we probably changed a little bit. Um, but we made sure we had a champion who was involved with seeing them on a daily basis. 
Um, we made sure that there was commitment. But we, so what we did was we had a, a head champion who was basically in charge of most of the training. But each, t- we've got like teams in our practice. Each team member, each one person, each team would also be providing them work. So they would deal with different people, not just one person, because feeding the work just from one person wasn't going to work. So we had one person in each team that would communicate with them regularly, provide the work. If there's any queries or questions, they'd come back to them and ask them what they needed, whether it was an email or a, or a team meeting, which just depend on what was needed. But um, from an ongoing training, that's probably improved a lot because of these Loom videos. As we teach them something new, it always gets videoed. And not only is that good for people for the team in Cebu, but it's also good for the new team members that we employ here as well. Same applies. They're not any different. It just yeah. means they've got that ability to press a button, this is how we do our best, or this is how we do a, a GST rec, whatever, whatever it might be. That formalization and standardization has been great for everyone. Awesome. I love that. It's um, The Loom videos is really important. I think for everyone that's listening, if you've not used Loom before, it's a cloud-based video uh, recording tool. So it's a really good way that just plugs into your browser. You click start, it does the recording, and then it's saved online. Do you guys have like a catalog of yeah. videos, Sam, or a system that you put that into? Yep. Amazing. Uh, so, yeah, if you haven't heard of it, everyone listening, check it out. Loom, it was free initially. I think maybe they've moved to paid plans now. I can't recall, to be honest, but if it's expen- if it's if there's a cost, it won't be expensive. No, last time I checked, it wasn't, but it was still my sort of favorite and pick of the bunch because of just of how easy it was to just click and, and almost like how easy it is to set up a Zoom call. It was just as easy to start recording and have everything in, in, in that one place. Um so the training part's really important, but I think the next part is trying to understand how do we know if they're doing a good job? And that kind of leads back to success, setting them up for success, but then the KPIs associated with that. How did you guys decide what those KPIs should be for your team members? So we have KPIs for every team member. So it doesn't matter whether they're here or, or, or there, um, based on their charge-out rate, based on their budget time they have to charge each day. So yes, we do timesheets. It doesn't mean we build based on timesheets, but we do monitor on timesheets just because there is a difference. And I think sometimes people don't really get that there is a difference between monitoring on timesheets and charging on timesheets. So I'll just clarify that one. It's, that's important. <laughs> it's okay. um, so they've also got KPIs. We initially didn't increase their charge-out rate by the same multiplier that we do for the local staff because they were going through a fairly heavy learning curve. We didn't want to put them under undue pressure unnecessarily. We knew there'd be a a short-term cost to get them to a certain level. Um, But now they're on a normal charge-out rate. They know their KPIs. They have to achieve certain targets and results, which we everyone gets that every month. Every month, whether it's local or or in in Cebu, they know how they've performed each month, whether they've charged more than budget or less than budget, whether they've written up or written off. All of that's known to everyone. It's totally transparent. That's great because, I mean, consistency and strong communication is key. How do you find, because you mentioned before your teams can be shy, how do you find they respond if you are trying to give them feedback around KPIs? No, they're, they're pretty good. They, they understand it. They get it. Um, they, I think they like the fact that it's regular communication. There's no point six months down the track saying you're not performing because by then it's too late. To, you can't even catch it up if you wanted to. So I think the regular reviews are really important from a KPI point of view. We also do staff reviews, proper formal staff reviews twice a year, which obviously, and TOA have their own system, which actually is quite similar 
to ours for Australia. So they actually worked quite well from a, a review process because they're both online, both here and, and obviously the TOA's version of it. And that was also an important part of just seeing where they're at, seeing what where they think they're at because I think it's important that, you know, we both think the same way. There's no point one, one of the staff thinking they're doing amazingly well if they're not and or vice versa. And I think more often than not, they don't, they're not as because their confidence level is not necessarily as high, maybe as an Australian person because of their shyness. They don't always think they're doing as well a job as they they actually are. So reinforcement's obviously probably a good thing to do as well as regularly as you can, especially now when they're working on the bigger jobs. That reinforcement will probably happen more regularly as they get some more meatier stuff to do. Hundred percent. Everyone loves a good pat on the back, right? They, it's nice to hear when things are going well, and I think if we forget to do that or we're only um, focused on the constructive feedback, uh, it can be really hard to keep that person. How, how do they know they're doing a good job, right? Like if we don't yeah. communicate about it. Um, you mentioned before you've got two different types of. You've got the accountant, and then you've got this new person starting on. And you mentioned before, you know, you were going to tell us about why you're excited about this person and, and so forth. And I, I think now's the time. I'd love to hear sure. more about this. Yeah. So this actually came a little bit out of left field. It wasn't something we were actually planning on at the moment. It was probably a longer term plan for us. This person was actually re- recommended to us. So we, yep, set, resume sounded great. Did the interviews. And it turns out, so this person very much is high, highly more highly qualified than the two we employ now, but not from an Australian tax and point of view. So she will start at a lower level. But her big, her big positive is that she, apart from working in some of the big firms and understands systems and processes, and she has taught those systems and processes to junior people. She also was a lecturer at a university, lecturing in accounting, and lecturing in. Um, in the lower-level SaaS systems and cloud-based packages. So that meant for us where we aim now is that she can become our um, Cebu trainer over time. So once she's learned the basics and how we do things and how our work papers operate, we actually see hers not only doing that for the accounting division but also for the bookkeeping division. We'll get her to learn their processes because, as we said earlier on, they are different from a bookkeeping point of view to an accounting point of view. But her knowledge base is so great. Yeah. It means that they've got someone – it means in Cebu they're going to have a local person they can ask a question of. You know, when we're busy or we can't get them at a particular time of the day, she's there, she can coordinate and she can train as well as do the accounting work and bookkeeping work. So we set it as a win-win for us. Oh, I would think so. I mean, that person can almost be your team leader for that group too, right? Like person that's uh, managing and helping those teams get up to speed. Uh, that's awesome. And you said it was just a referral from someone else? Well, from one of the other, our, our other accountants in Cebu. Amazing. How good's that? That's, uh, that's really good, right? That, so I was going to say, what that shows to us is that the person who referred us obviously really likes working for us because she wouldn't be referring to someone else if she didn't like the work she's doing and the people she's working with. So that also gave us confidence that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, I mean, you mentioned before that this was a hire that you picked up now because the opportunity came along. And I guess my question comes around the people strategy piece. How do you think about people's strategy when you're mapping onshore, offshore? Do you guys have a formula to say, well, we've got X amount of accountants, this is the work, and this is how many team members we need to help support? the onshore for those things? It's a little bit difficult because I think some of it happens over time because 
sometimes you might decide if someone leaves the practice, whether you replace them locally or, or offshoring or not. That could be a decision-making process. Our decision-making process is basically that client-facing people will be local and ones that we don't necessarily need to be client-facing will probably end up being offshoring. And we see over time that will change to that sort of um, structure. Um, and it also allows the accounts who are here, it gives them some added responsibility because they're handing work out to someone, uh, a junior person, if you like, mm. um, and that gives them more responsibility, that gives them some job satisfaction as well. They deal with you know, a variety of people overseas. It, it's, um, I know that all the staff that are doing it at the moment, they all love it. They love that opportunity and they're really, um, they've actually, they've all excelled in their own roles because they've got that extra bit of responsibility. Yeah, I was about to ask, like, how do you frame that conversation with your onshore teams? And what was the, because, you know, the first time you have the conversation, it's trying to make sure that we don't rock the boat here, right? We're trying to make sure that everyone's safe yep. and secure. How did you guys go about approaching that when you, because you had that conversation with the partners and said, we've got to do this, I'm confident, I'm comfortable. What was that conversation like with your team members underneath? So initially we told them that this is what we're doing, but this is not to replace anyone locally. This is to provide additional support to our team members. Our, our intention was never, and it has not been, and it will not be, to replace people unnecessarily. Yep. Um, that's not what we want to do. We want to, you know, have extra people at the right levels doing the right sort of work. Um, and I know that Nick loves talking lots about, you know, getting utilisation factors and how you plan for your future capacity levels and things like that. So we do do capacity planning each year. So each June we do our, our capacity plan for the next 12 months. Yep. Um, but the, there, was, there was not any negative reaction when we told the team this is what we were doing. Everyone was on board with it. They got it. And they say, I mean, obviously they didn't have to believe us, but they saw that no one, no one lost their jobs. It just meant there was extra resources and support to do some of the work that, you know, some people might say, oh, I don't want to do a BAS or I don't want to do an individual return. So for them, it's kind of a good thing they don't have to do that sort of work if they don't want to, but they could also get to supervise, learn how to review, learn how to communicate with other people. It was, no, it was really, really a good step and everyone took it on board. That's awesome. I'm, it's, it's good to hear and good to, to – I mean, I'm, I was to say good to see, but it's good to hear that uh, because, you know, these are the guys that have been in the business for, you know, a little bit or a long time. Um, it's important that, that communication, as we said before, with our offshore teams, it's really important to have really strong um, relationships with your, with your team that are working with those teams because they're all involved in helping set it all up for success and to deliver the work to – uh, the client. So um, that's great. I think you guys have gone about that uh, in a really positive way. That's awesome. Um, I guess just thinking to the client side of that then, uh, do you have you had to have conversation with clients about the way you're running the business and, and how that's going or is it something that you don't communicate about or there's, you know, there's fears about what clients will think? Um, we haven't gone out of a way to tell clients about it, um, I must say, but that they're getting emails from these from these people saying so no, they're getting email from many in our case, one's her name's Cy or Cyril, the other one's Lisa. Um, I have no issue of not saying it to anyone. I'm not trying to hide the fact. We haven't got everybody say, by the way, this is what we're doing, because we just see them as another part of our practice, another team member of our practice. So we don't see that as something we need to say specifically. Yep. Um, the only time I'd probably 
um, talk about with a client directly is if a client says, oh, you know, your fees are too heavy and I need to, you know, you need to make it cheaper. I say, well, I can do that this way if you wanted to do that. But I, have, I actually have not had to do that. I know of firms who have said, look, if you want that, we'll use our offshore team and they'll, they'll be cheaper for you. Um, but I, we haven't had the necessity to do it. I don't know whether we will or won't in the future. It's not something we're hiding, but we haven't consciously gone and said, by the way, everyone, we've got an offshore team. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a chat with a firm the other week about the same thing, just saying, well, you know, if your customer's spending, trying to bend you down on price or whatever it may be, it's about positioning um, positioning with them and say, look, well, you know, this is the price for what we're doing here, but if you're happy for us to do it the other way, then then this can be the price. Um, and I'm not saying you should bend on your fees, right? There's another podcast no. and discussion all about that as well. Um, you know, not for today, I'm sure. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, the... the communication is really key with the client as well in that scenario. And to your point, they don't necessarily need to know about it unless it's something that impacts them or you feel like it needs to. And that's, I agree. I think that's fine. Um, Coming, I guess, talk you through the pricing side of it, as we just sort of said, how does this, not everyone goes into it for anything other than this seems like a cheaper idea, right? I'm going to do offshoring because it is cheaper, but obviously there's so many other benefits to that how, how do you address that like if someone's coming to you saying sam why'd you do it is it for the cost is it for something else is it what's your view look there's probably a mix to, to say and nothing to do with cost I'd be, I'd be a liar i don't think anyone would argue there's obviously labor is cheaper and it does help the bottom line so that is definitely part of it but as i think i said earlier it also gave us the opportunity and the ability to be able to um allow our local team members to be able to hand work out, to review work, to communicate with lower team levels, teach them some things. So it, it really was a win-win from both sides of it. Um, I can say that the, um, our do- the dollars, the bottom line has increased. I could, and, and it probably didn't initially. It probably, it probably took at least six months to see the fruits of it. You're not going to start making money straight away. You, yep. it's, like any, it's like anything. You've got to train them, they got to understand. You know, they're not coming from the Australian tax system. So, their learning process is a little bit different to what a local person would be, but there's definitely financial advantages in the long run without any question of doubt. So what would be your biggest recommendation then for someone? So someone that, like if you're listening to this show today and they're hearing, you know, your feedback and there's been a lot of really good points around the training, the daily uh, daily catch-ups, giving good feedback. Um, you've talked about the fact that it has improved your bottom line, which is great. What, what would be sort of the key two or three points you think they really need to take in and consider before they make a decision? Yeah, so I think don't expect to make extra money straight away. It will take time and you need to put in the effort. You need to have your systems in place. You need to do all the right thing to start with. And if you do that, you will see the, the benefits from a, a dollar's point of view. Um, and probably just do slightly away, and this is not something we do yet, but we're very conscious of this being maybe our next step. I think that's important to um, address. Is a bookkeeping business never has as good a GP as what an accounting practice will have. So offshoring bookkeeping from a, just from a dollar's point of view is a no-brainer. If you don't, if you can't, and it takes time to realign that because you can't just suddenly get rid of people and put people offshoring. But if you can plan that out in such a way to do that, that's where the bookkeeping will become a lot more efficient. Amazing. I love that. And then as we said earlier, it kind of sets you up for that runway of 
if moving into that advisory piece, you've got nice clean data, you're controlling it end-to-end too, right? Yep. And and I think that um, bookkeepers nowadays, and I actually must say I hate the term bookkeeper, so, um, and I think one of the newest terms I've seen recently, actually from from Lillette, who we both know, is an, an an accounting technician. Yes, and and I think that's probably a better way to put someone because they're they're more than they're not just a person who does data entry is what say bookkeeper used to be, and so their professional knowledge and their know how means they would also like to be able to hand work off to someone below them, and, and you have like a pod system where you have two or three offshores with a, a, a leader in Australia, let's say, and they can run a set of files, bookkeeping files, and that's how we see our booking business going down the track is to get that to that sort of structure. I used to, uh, I love that. I used to call them like a data mechanic or a data wizard because they were so in the so in the trenches of it, but it wasn't even just doing the data, like because it, it moves from data processing to data management, really. Like how do we get the data flows coming in? And that's not always a perfect scenario, but, um, you know, how do we best get that flowing in and get those pipes coming back to the accounting system? Uh, and I think, you know, bookkeepers have been best placed for that for that for a little while now so it's been cool to see the evolution of uh of that but i agree the naming doesn't necessarily uh, evaluate to the correlate with the value that they that they can bring and help set all that up um my last kind of question for you sam i guess what's the biggest myth or objection you've heard about offshoring or you know anything that you believe you've heard like that's not true or you, you want to squash that for me on today's show um, I can't think of one thing in particular, but I think what I will say to people is don't worry about time zone, di- time zone differences. People are thinking about worrying about that. Look, at the moment, it is three hours. It's normally two hours when we're not in daylight saving. That has had no impact on us whatsoever on getting any workflow out. Internet over in Philippines is amazing. It's really good, so don't be worried about that. There is some hiccups at the moment, a little bit here and there because of lockdown and people being at home. Um, there has been some internet hiccups to a certain extent, but hopefully they'll be back in the office soon and the office environment for the internet is 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 A1. So don't worry about internet dropouts. All the IT over there is fantastic. It's all looked after properly. Um, I can tell you the team are looked after amazingly well. They have wellness stuff going on. They've got, I can't remember if they've got them in Cebu, but in Clark, they've got a nurse on, on hand. Someone gets sick. They've yeah. got breakout rooms. They really have a great environment to work in and they have fun there as well as working, obviously. And we try and make sure we send a birthday cake over there for the, our team members when it's their birthday. So they, you know, because we have that here, so they get that there. Yeah. Um, So I just think you just got to, you might think the Philippines is third world or somebody might think that it's actually not. And it's, they have a very, they have a great environment. The university teach them really well. There's really nothing to be afraid of. I think all you need to be afraid of is getting your systems right so you can then take the jump and, and get into it. Love that. And, uh, yeah, I was just thinking as you were saying it, it's like I think for every 100 team members, we have a nurse on site. So there's 20-odd nurses on on team uh, internet. And that's part of the, the, the value prop, I guess, of we're trying to make sure the building facility is second to none. It's, um, you know, from every – and I haven't had a chance to go there myself yet. I'm very much looking forward to doing that one day in the future. Um, I'm just happy to get on a plane to go anywhere these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's uh, – yeah. For real, it looks amazing. So, actually, there's actually one other thing I should add, and 
it probably is important is that the, all the team in Toa, they're not allowed to take their mobile phone into where they're working. That goes into a locker. All they can take with them is their headphones, a bottle of water, and that's really about it. So that from a security or a privacy point of view, there's no necessity to worry about, you know, someone else seeing text file numbers or taking photographs of, of things. That just doesn't happen. So from a security point of view, it's, 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 it's first class. Yeah, we're very, very strict measures on that because for the, for the right reasons, right? It's trying to keep everyone protected and the data protected and everything else. So, thanks, Sam. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, for anyone that's listening along, like how do we, if they wanted to get in contact with you, I mean, I, I can imagine the best way to get in contact with you, but I'll let you uh, state it. Is that just going to be social media? So, yeah, well, you probably know I'm on Twitter a fair amount. So, it's <laughs> at, at Sam Rockberg from a Twitter point of view. Um, if they wanted to email me to ask me any questions, it's samr at alexanderspencer.com.au. Um, if they really want to ring me, I'm happy to ring me. My mobile is 0412-442-552. And they're, they're probably the ways to get in touch with me. I've actually spoken to a few accountants in the past. The towers asked whether it's okay if I speak with them, and I have, and reassured them as well. So I'm happy to do that for anyone who wants to have a private conversation, please feel free. Amazing. Sam, we really appreciate your time and thanks for all the, the insight and the wisdom. Uh, there's definitely a lot of good nuggets that people can learn from in the session. And, uh, yeah, so from me, thank you for joining the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. We look forward to seeing you again sometime uh, soon, whether that be a roadshow or a webinar or something something fun with a, with a nice beverage, I think. Sounds good. Look forward to catching up with you soon, Frank. Thanks, Sam. You're listening to the Outsource Accountant Podcast. To follow our podcast, visit the Outsource Accountant or head to the Outsource Accountant Podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. To connect with us on Twitter, look for our handle at Toa Global or find us on LinkedIn at Toa Global. Like our Facebook page at the Outsource Accountant. Catch you on the next episode of the Outsource Accountant Podcast. Thanks and have a great day.